When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the In Search of More podcast. I am your host, Ellie Nash. Join me weekly on my quest for more. More from myself and more from this world. We'll see you on the other side. All right, welcome, Chaya. Thank you. Chaya Sarah. I'm sitting here with Chaya Sarah Gurevich, and I will let you tell us what you uh, do and who you are. The only background I'll give is that two people within a couple days of each other said to me, you got to get Chayasar Gravich on your podcast. And then after we spoke and the date was scheduled, a guy I know reached out to me and said, there's this woman who I worked with and she was amazing. And I feel like, uh, I don't want to miss the word, but I think he said his life is transformed and will never be the same. And you have to get Chayasar Gravich on your podcast. I don't know if she'll agree to do it. And I said, well, we already have a date scheduled, so hopefully she'll be here. So you're here. Thank you. Thank you. I was just telling um, Yassi, like, this is my first real time bringing any of my work out in the public, really. I mean, yeah, I put it on Facebook here and there, but even not so much. Because um, I've, I've watched so much go down around these kind of this kind of work. And I've just been kind of keeping it quiet, but we're we're quite a few hundred people already doing this work and um I run the Awakening Retreat, which is um it branches into all different areas, but mostly it's about waking up. It's about becoming aware of how you're showing up, what you're doing, and expecting different results and really looking at your patterns and all in with witnessing, with community, with good people, with no, no airs, no, no veils, no, um, nothing outer. Everything is very raw and real in everything we do. Um, and it's, it's incredible movement and it's just growing and growing and growing and spreading and, and we don't even advertise. So you found it, you founded it and you run it. Yeah. The Awakening Retreat. So um, how much can you share about it? I'm sure I know with a lot of retreats, people don't like to say too much because the more you say, the more it confuses someone. You kind of have to experience these things yeah. um, in order to experience So there's it. several different kinds of retreats I do. I mean, I can really do, we can make it into a mini retreat and a one-day retreat and a little retreat and a two-hour retreat and a breathwork and a get-together and fire circle and nature. We do, I do nature retreats, helping people heal in nature, tracking tracking their patterns, tracking, um, using nature as a metaphor. I love that. I love that work. That's like kind of the love of my life. And then this, the kind of retreat that I'm doing currently, which is always metamorphosizing as the needs are mm -hmm. changing, is um, a very deep dive healing experience. It's what most people describe it as 20 years of therapy in one weekend. Mm. So it's... It's effective. It works. It's, you know, it's it's um, 
it's a beautiful experience. It's a beautiful community. I love group work. You know, the group really creates the magic. And that's what I base everything on. It's like there's no hierarchy in our in our retreats. It's never like there is the leader, there is the staff, and you're the participant. It's like we are all on the floor crying together. We are in this together. Uh, I will get as vulnerable about myself as anybody else. And I think that gives people permission to to do what they need to do to get it out. To truly heal. Yeah. All right, here we go. It's an ad, but it's not an ad because I was paid. It's an ad as an expression of love and appreciation for someone who did a lot for me and this podcast specifically. I'm talking about Ryan Carter from Scarlet Row. Many of you may know Ryan because he was a familiar face in the early days of the podcast, but much more than being a familiar face, he was kind of the, the juice behind the podcast from the very first day I had the idea. He's the one who pushed it from not just online webinars, but for consistent content, then going from audio to video. Everything you see here was his concept, his idea, and his execution. In addition to this podcast, Ryan has done a ton of work for you, my companies, from creative design, photography, brand strategy, brand development, creating video content, creating presentations, photography, and much, much more. So you name it, in that space, you wanna create content, he's your guy. Even if your idea is just an idea and you don't have it all worked out, bring it to Ryan. He'll help turn that idea into something you can be proud of. Reach out to Ryan at scarletroad.com. And the retreat is offered to both men and women. So it's been for women for many years and the men were kind of in the background um, and, you know, watch, watching their wives get all enlightened and wanting, wanting the work as well. So we started the the men's workshop two years ago, almost two years ago. How long have you been doing this? <sighs> Just under ten years. Wow, and this is the first time hearing of you. So yeah, it was really yeah, hard. yeah. It's been a little underground. Um, I do have a rav that I ask all my questions to, but I really have rav a rav. Yeah, right. I have a rav that I ask a lot of questions to, but I, other than him. I really don't haven't wanted it to be in the public eye because um, it's just it's pure and sacred and it feels right to me so I do it. Right, you're here now though. I'm here. Yeah. Right with the microphone I'm here and cameras. With the microphone and, and cameras and hello everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and I just hope that my kavana is that whatever we do should help somebody, and to know that they're not alone and that there are people that can be real. And that can also be from and real and raw. I've had on my retreats, uh, at one retreat, we had, I think, four women who had had abortions. And they were all beautiful from women. And they, they were able to, to say it and to share it and to cry and to heal it. And the whole group was holding them. And... And um, they didn't worry about their kids shidduchim. They worried for themselves. And it's like in our community, if you're being vulnerable and real, you're in, you know? In your community. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a global community. It's people everywhere. Uh, we've just now opened a local breathwork um, group so that we can be accessible. Local in South Florida? Yeah. So we cool. can be accessible to the locals. Um, so they don't have to come to a whole retreat to get a taste and to get some healing and some good Do work. Do you facilitate those? Mm-hmm. Neat. 
the transformational holotropic breath work. Those mm-hmm. that's that. Very cool. Yeah, rebirthing breath work. Cool. I'm a big fan. Um, yeah. Neat. How did you get into this work? Okay. Which part? Actually, before I go there, yeah. I, I don't think um, maybe there isn't an exact answer, a verbal answer that you can express, but if there is one, I'd love to hear it. So what changed? For so many years, you were underground, um, intentionally not wanting to make too much noise. And why would I wouldn't consider this making a ton of noise. It is a public forum and it is a public podcast. So nothing changed. I didn't really ask for this. I did not call for this. Um my son had a guest over and he was like, I'm getting you on Ellie Nash's show. And I was just <laughs> like, okay. Like it wasn't, I didn't look for this. I wasn't, you know, I want to be on this podcast. I want to be on that podcast. I've, I've been asked and I just don't really follow through so much. Um, so it's, I don't have an agenda of being here, but the, the, the wind brought me here. Hashem brought me here and I'm here. I'm show up okay, wherever so, I needed. So it feels right to you. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. It's good. Hopefully get a message to someone, let them know they're not alone. <laughs> and after I, like I was saying, I, after I saw your, your Ted talk last night, I was like, I better find out who this guy is. <laughs> I was like, all right, I can be vulnerable if you can be vulnerable. And yeah. So. I'm- right. There's doing it in, um, in a retreat, which is real and hard and difficult and painful. And in some ways, it's a different challenge, some ways more challenging than a group of strangers. Yeah. Um, yes. But there is that. A huge, 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 yes. And then there's doing it on, uh, you know, with this. It is, yeah. there is a difference. It's, they're each easier and harder in different ways. Yeah, I think the challenge both. for me today was like, I don't like to feel my ego. I don't use my ego in my work. If I feel my ego, I make a mistake. The very first person I ever facilitated in a retreat setting I messed up because the entire retreat the entire retreat I just kept having a story about her in my head like the way she was looking at me I don't know I was just like she thinks I'm stupid she thinks I'm stupid every time I was talking she was just kind of looking at me and then when I got up to to facilitate her I totally messed up and I was like what does facilitator mean? Like she, she, it was her turn to to get facilitated to talk about her story and oh, to got it. have us create a healing experience for her. And I messed up. I just like I I went in, and it didn't go. And I was like, realized at that moment, I'm in me. I can't be in me if I'm doing this work. So I've learned how to leave me behind. Like I was telling you before, like learn a million modalities and then leave them all behind and just show up. And create that space for Hashem to just come and do it, or for the healing that wants to happen to happen. So, the hard thing for me this morning was feeling my ego and asking myself, like, what is happening? Why am I feeling this way? How do I want to show up? And facing parts of me that I've long ago, um, you know, made made peace with, and. Um, so I did some breath work. <laughs> I'm like, if I don't do this, I'm not going to be okay. So I did a bunch of breath work, and I'm good. You feel I'm it? here. No, I'm like welcome. ego gone, just showing up. Back welcome, to me. Welcome. on myself. Well, thanks for coming here. Thanks, thanks. for showing up. Thank you. So how did you uh, get into this work? So the way I got into this work was 
when I was born. When I was four years old, I had my first facilitation, I would say, with a relative who was in and out of rehab and who was staying with us for a while. And I just, I loved her. I love, still love her very much. And um, she was leaving our house and I felt like she was going with bad people. And I told her, I, I begged her, like, don't go with them. You know, I was four years old. And I felt like empowered and successful. And I think from that moment, I started to realize like I could make a difference. And, and I just started using that skill like, whenever I thought it was necessary. So I got, I got smacked in the face a lot along the way. <laughs> I think I worked out of permission many times, but I kind of just did what had to be done and didn't really care about myself or didn't think about what the repercussions were. I just dived in all the time. So that was just my way. And uh, that's really where it started. And just like, then I did, I did wigs for a long time, shaitals. Okay. And so I was working with women and sort of like I was the shaital macher, but I would really be able to hear them, you know, really hear what was going on in their lives. And I would do my little facilitations, you know, and I learned a lot of healing modalities. Uh, I attended the Woman Within many years ago, which is like the mothership of all the retreats. And then the I- The Woman Within? The Woman Within. Not familiar with it, okay. International. It's it's like the mother, it's how the show first started, actually, from the people that were going to Women Within. The women were going, and then the women tried going. The men tried going also, and it just wasn't the same. And so they created Call the Chauffeur, uh, in which, you know, I, I don't really know enough about it, but um, it wasn't the same. Let's just put it that way. Uh, but it, yeah, just got so you up on so you attended. Over. You attended the woman within, and then from there got into. I attended the woman within. Then I staffed for them. I was in a circle. We did like an e circle that was like follow up. It, it's it was basically like mental health boot camp. Just getting together with a group and going over the tools over and over, taking responsibility for your life, taking responsibility for everything you think, everything you say, for all your projections. And we worked that out in the group. It was a very tough group. It was very boot camp-like group. Like if I would come five minutes late, someone would be crying and just saying, I feel insignificant because you were late. And that makes me feel that I, I don't matter. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So I did that for like 14 years. Wow. So I learned how to be in safe, like in safe relationship to others, not projecting, noticing when I'm telling myself stories and just being responsible healthy and responsible and um then ended up doing retreats starting with with a uh, nature-based life coaching did i tell you this i told you that okay yeah so going back to the question I'm, i feel like i'm on a tangent no, how you get, where how am you i get into this oh yeah so earlier you had so, mentioned about nature also and now nature-based life coaching so what is this you spoke about it as your your core passion or your thing you're most passionate about yeah so um Hmm, where should I start? Just through a series of events, I found Sage Fire Institute, which um, at the time, I don't think they're running anymore, but they at the time, it was like an incredible experience for me coming home to nature. Sort of, I always feel like when people become Balchuvas, like they're learning what's already theirs, right? So I felt like that about the nature learning. It was like nature's already ours, it's already here to use. And I 
when I was little, I was very connected with it and, and then kind of lost it along the way because it wasn't, it wasn't an integral part of my schooling or my life and, um, and came back to it and then took a nature-based life coaching training and started to, so what to does take that look groups. Like? What does what look like? A nature retreat? Yeah, nature retreat or nature-based life coaching. What what's going on? So it's it's building relationship with nature as a metaphor, and noticing, noticing. It's all about noticing and awareness, and um, you know, like we're we have become a very subconscious people, like subconscious community. We don't even notice, like we're, you're chugging your coffee, walking to your car in the morning, thinking your thoughts, and you don't notice that there's like birds in the tree that are just like, hello, <laughs> you know, cheer up, look up, look at the sky, look at nature, look at this, listen to the sounds. Our senses have dulled. Our, we're sort of living in this tiny little 10% of our brain, and we've lost a lot of, a lot of our senses, a lot of our feelings, a lot of our, um, being able to sit with ourselves and feel, and also using nature as a metaphor, um, kind of like I'll take a group in nature and just say, everyone choose a tree that represents you. And then I give them like some prompts, dialogue with the tree, sit with the tree. Why does this tree remind you of yourself? It's so, it's so much fun. It's very mystical and it's very connecting. It's, it's a lot of fun. And it's, it's sort of also like nature, teachings in nature, they call it, um, coyote, coyote mentoring, because coyote is sort of the trickster in nature. You you see a coyote and you follow him into the forest, and because you like, there's a coyote. But then you get into the forest and he's gone, but you, he's led you to this beautiful place. So nature, uh, nature teachings are sort of tricking people into learning, and it's just tricking people into healing, tricking people into learning. Like you just feel better when you're in nature, right? You feel good. Why? It kind of comes in under the radar. Like exactly, exactly. Nature's, a, I mean, that is the, the ancient ways that they used to teach children, take them out to the forest. The elders would teach the children. Like, we've lost all of that. And now kids sitting in a classroom. You want, to, you want me to get started on yeah, this Yeah, of one? course. Yeah. <laughs> we got a little bit of it here. I don't know if people think the background is real or fake, but it this is real. The background is amazing. Like, your podcast does not do this justice. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, it is just so beautiful. Yeah, so if you really, you know, sit out there and be still, you can really connect deeply to yourself. And we are nature. We are, we're all part of this interwoven um, ecosystem. Yeah, exactly. You were going somewhere and then. I don't know, I'm going everywhere. I have total (laughs) ADHD. The nature didn't cure that? <laughs> no. <laughs> Nothing cures that. <laughs> Nothing cures that. <laughs> Nothing cures that. Right. And if we don't... Uh... So how has um, how has it changed over the years, what you've done? Meaning you got into this, you're saying 10 years ago. We got into this very young, but in terms of the formal retreats, it's called the Awakening Retreat, you said? Yeah. So the... So that launched 10 years ago. That launched, no, that launched, launched the, the, the whole retreats launched about 10 years ago. Got it. And then it morphed. I got hired by Journey to Home. Do you know Journey to mm-hmm. Home? Yeah. I got hired by them to run their women's department for a couple of years. And then I branched off onto my own 
and just opened the awakening retreat because I wrote my own program when I was there. So I took it with me and just. Gotcha. Is it mostly people from religious backgrounds who are coming to work with you? Um, It's not limited to that, but it is, it is mostly religious people, but anybody can come and we've had reform conservative, um, not religious. We've had, you know, people who aren't religious anymore, who used to be ultra religious, aren't Mm -hmm. religious. Um, So that's, it doesn't matter. I always tell people this is Jewish, not, um, Jewish, but if someone's not Jewish, they could come. But it's right. why I mean, it's it's kosher and Shabbos. But I always tell people this is not a religious weekend, so to speak. There's no judgment here, but we do Shabbos and kosher and we have davening times. But if you don't daven, like, please do something quietly. Don't take that as a time to go on your phone. Take it as a time to meditate. Um, and it's our belief that as you feel more whole, you're going to feel closer to God. You're going to feel closer to to truth. And so it's our, our business. It's not our business, the, your religious level. It's our business to provide you a place that you can do the healing of your life. Neat. How has your own relationship with religion changed through this work or your own My own relationship to, to religion. This is really a good, good really good question. Um my relationship to religion has morphed many, many, many times so far, and it's still morphing. And even um, just I, I, my whole relationship to God, my whole relationship, I'm, as you know, my husband passed away from COVID three years ago. So at the time, I was running an online course called um, the Tefillah Circle, Tefillah Prayer Circle, where we were talking about prayer and the power of prayer. And it was like, to me, that was like my carbon. I was like, it was hard to do and keep it going. And I did it. And, um, I devoted so much to that for four years. And then that happened. And I was like, who is God? I don't even know you. Like my God wouldn't do this to me, you know? So who is God? So I couldn't open a sitter for a long time. So it's been, you know, a, a process. And I think it's just, it's a life, it's a lifelong journey relationship with, you know, trust. We are, we are a people who know pain and the Holocaust and, you know, it's hard. It's hard. It's, 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 it's an avoda. I think it's an avoda. I heard uh, from someone that the term balchuva, right, means master of return. And we wouldn't master something we only did one time. So often we think of Baal Shuvah as someone who wasn't religious and became religious. And uh, he was saying that, no, a Baal Shuvah is someone who's continuously returning because that's how they've mastered it. Yeah. Yeah. Last night I was on the phone with a client and she was talking to me about, what was it? Her feelings of mistrust in, the, in this world and her feelings of I don't deserve. And I was just like, where's God? Like, Where's you and God? And she, and it, it all came out. And this is someone who's like, you know, a religious woman with a nice family and all all the, the trappings. But inside, she like doesn't believe she deserves. She doesn't believe she's part of God. She doesn't believe in God, really. I mean, she doesn't trust. And so I was just like, write a letter to God right now. And like a real one, a real one, like how you feel right now. And um, she did. And she read it to me. It was it was unbelievable. I was like, can you pick out the key words here? And it was like, no trust, 
no like no deserving it was really really sad and um that was just like scratching the surface on it wasn't a religious conversation it wasn't it wasn't that kind of session but it turned into that and then um this is an old operating system this is an old way of showing up this is an old very old stuff and it comes from a lot of experiences and pain and seeing the world and and what's seeing an old what really operating happened. system this i don't deserve i'm not enough you hate me um you don't want good for me i don't trust the future i don't trust the future right i was speaking to someone the other day and i said and they were putting themselves down and i said well like, why are you talking about yourself like that and i said oh i the response was almost like, why would I, why would I, it's, it's like unimmodest to speak nicely about yourself or well about yourself. And I said, but you didn't make yourself. Like you're not putting down your work or putting up your work. If you're saying anything nice about yourself, there's, this person happens to be, happens to to believe in God and say they believe in God and is comfortable in that, in that expression of it. But for whatever reason, not recognizing that they themselves are a creation of this God and putting themselves down is putting down that creation, meaning the creator. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. Yeah. I think that's Tanya, right? Possibly. <laughs> I skipped that class. <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely. Yeah. So I have this sort of a new, you know, things are coming to me. Like, like the reason I don't listen to so many podcasts and listen, I don't, I, I kind of like, I'm in a very special situation, I feel, and learning such deep lessons, you know, no one should know, but like loss, tragedy, it's, it's, it's epic. It's epic and it's hard to, it, the regular rules that you've always, that I've always lived by don't work anymore. Like, like Epic is a nothing. fascinating word. Yeah. It's a fascinating choice of words for, uh, for for grief. Yeah, it's 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 an epic shattering of the vessels. It's an epic shattering of everything a person ever knew or ever thought, or and it's it's been such a journey. So I came up with this. So I I, I need to meditate a lot inside myself and just come up with my own because. Um, I think I even wrote to YY one day and like, there's not enough in the Torah for people who went through tragedy. Like there's not enough. I'm not feeling guidance. I'm not feeling a lot of guidance. And maybe that's my chesaron that I'm not finding it, but I'm sort of creating it. So I just came up with this idea. <sighs> like I know Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim is like a DNA of this world. It's like kind of a DNA. It gives us clues into what we're here for. Like we're supposed to remember it every single day. Mm. And what I've come up with is like that has created a save me mentality. Next year in Jerusalem, it's going to get better. God's going to save me. Someone save me. You know, you know there, there's this, this disempowerment. And You're saying the idea of kind of next year in Jerusalem, maybe not what was intended, but the way it's communicated, understood, yeah. is a very gullus mentality. It's yeah, it's like a it's like a victim, very victim, like someone will save me one day. And I sort of came up with a new something that that 
that works better, that makes more sense to me, mm-hmm. which is like remembering every day who put us in Mitzrayim and why. So God took us out of Mitzrayim, but who put us in Mitzrayim? And why did he put us in Mitzrayim? Good question. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> like we don't talk <laughs> about that. So I I don't know if this is true, but actually someone told me the, that, that they saw this in a Sikha, so could be. Um, that I feel like he put us in Mitzrayim so that we would struggle to get out. So when in that struggle, we get empowered and we feel like we're co-creating our own geula. And like we're co-creating all the time. He, he, let, he lets us feel like, we're, like we did it. So we took us out, we go in, we struggle, and when we come out, we feel like amazing. We feel like super, super, uh, a superhero. We feel like supernatural. Right. You're saying we feel like, but there is an element of it that is, there's, there's a difference, right? There's a difference between inheriting money and earning money. I mean, it's a different. Yeah. Yeah. Different and I thing. think there's something in the struggle, like this is Olamatikun, right? We, this is not the good place. This is the hard place. This <laughs> can be a hard place. And, and we, we are here to, to make it better. He gave us, permi- we have permission to heal it. We have permission to fix it. We have powers to fix, to fix it. We have survival skills. We have a mind. We have a higher consciousness. We have nature. Yeah. And we have a soul. And, and so in that, in that struggle is that edge of all we are. So I, <coughs> you're sneezing on the truth. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Never mind. Anyway, I don't know how we got on there, but that's how it flows. I'm going to have one more sneeze. I mean. <laughs> wow. Maybe we'll keep that part in. You'll see it's unedited on the screen. <laughs> <laughs> the, um, you were talking about your own relationship with religion and kind of and, and davening, so I wanted to understand it. The four-year tefillah program you were running was leading up to your husband's death, yeah. correct? One second, I got another one. <laughs> Okay. Oh. What you got to do? <laughs> it's kind of like right there. You know that feeling? I don't want to stop a sneeze. I want to know. Oh, okay. It's good. <laughs> okay. You were talking about the... Um, I'll take back the question so they can uh, edit it. So earlier, earlier you're talking about um, in your journey with religion, how for about four years you were running this tefillah program. So we call it tefillah circle. Yeah. And you stopped that when your husband passed. Yeah. Got it. And not only did you stop that, you stopped praying yourself. I st- uh, yeah. I mean, I I tried to, but I I had a very hard time opening any sort. Right. Yeah. No, I'm okay with yeah. that. Yeah. 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 I, I people may kill me for it, but. Um, in my 20s, I stopped wearing tefillin completely because I felt like every single time I was putting on tefillin, um, when I didn't put it on or if I was, you know, oftentimes I'd put it on late in the day, I felt like, I felt a sense of guilt. And I thought, what a bizarre thing to do. 
to, oh, I'm guilty, so let me pray. Let me approach you from, from guilt. It just felt inappropriate. So I said, let me not do it so that I won't feel guilty not doing it. And then when I do it, it's not coming from guilt. That was my way of dealing with it. Maybe there was a breathwork session that could have processed that easier. But that was kind of, that was my way of approaching it. So I get it completely. Get it wasn't coming from a, um, a judgmental place. I think it's, I, I think it's actually an honest relationship with prayer. It feels to me very, very real versus yeah. I can wake up every single day and just pray. Maybe I, I can't pray right now. Who am I praying to? Yeah. Yeah. I was just in Muncie and having this conversation with a, with a young Hasidish guy, you know, long payas, white shirt, black pants, and admitted to me that he hasn't davened in years and um, just was weeping, just, you know, feeling guilty, feeling like God doesn't want me because I made mistakes and he doesn't want my prayers. He doesn't want anything from me. And, you know, we just, you know, someone else was in the room when this sort of came out and he was like, you just told the Lubavitch lady you don't put on to fill it. <laughs> that was not a smart idea. <laughs> so three hours later, and I get a tefillin picture from him every day. <laughs> nice. It's like mitzvahs are opportunities. For this is my. It's like little Torah Chayasara. Yeah. Like I might be wrong, and I'm like I don't take responsibility for what I'm saying, and like I'm not preaching. I'm just saying what it, what I'm finding out on my journey. Um, feeling like mitzvahs are opportunities to you know everyone talks about hiring frequencies and becoming supernatural and manifesting and all this stuff. Well, I think mitzvahs are an opportunity to higher your frequency, an opportunity to refine. And, and if you look at them as opportunities, it's instead of the guilt and the shoulds, I think that's just not where I am. I'm not, I can't be there. I still have a lot of remnants of it. And I can't be there anymore. Right. It's too much. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't to, uh, it doesn't to me to either. Me. I certainly don't want to teach any of that to my kids. I don't want to leave them with that yeah. idea of it yeah. at all. Yeah. So I found it, um, you know what, what I, I found in my own journey is how much of the religious ideas I needed to forget or let go of in order to connect and have a relationship with God. And that's kind of sad if you think about it. I think you're on an incredible journey of your unique self. And, and, and that's what I, what I hope for. I mean, Hashem made every person different. And when you bring your uniqueness to the, to the world, then you're really making a difference. And, when, and, and it just seems to that I'm just watching you with, you know, the, the things that you're sharing and just seeing like, wow, you're really following your own North Star, your, your own way and and i think there's room for that more than room for that i think that's what's going to ultimately heal the world is when you do it your way do it your way bring it back to the community do bring it to make the world a better place um, i think the fact is that and this is indisputable is that there's a lot not working and i mean that's you can't argue with that there isn't a home who doesn't have uh children who are suffering tremendously i haven't met any you know there isn't uh and there's some who are as as someone gets further into the guts of the community 
and it's not only the Jewish community, it's really the whole world. As someone gets further into the guts, we, we learn of the pain and the suffering and kind of the the uniformity of that. It exists anywhere. And sometimes the most pain is where someone doesn't see the pain. That's, some, you know, when you when you get further into it, you're like, wow, your life is such a mess and you think it's normal. That's almost the the, the most painful parts of it. So yeah. for me, it's kind of become obvious that searching for it and that's what we call it we call this the in search of more podcast is the only way because if there's someone who's found it i don't think the world would look that the way it looked agreed agreed 100 percent. i think this is a complicated percent. it's an infinite game it's a complicated game it's life is a tough like it's tough to figure out and maybe there are some people who have but certainly not in a way that could be communicated to enough people to, you know, to get enough people doing it the right way that, yeah. you know. I, you're preaching to the choir. Like, absolutely. I'm with you. And I'm always looking for, like, what's, what do we need to fix? What do we need to change? What do we need? How do we make it better? How do we make it more of, like, the truth of what it is instead of, like, we've, we've wrecked it? We've wrecked a lot. Like the scales, I have a big thing about the scales. I'm like, Let's, get me started. Like, I'm like a wind up doll. If you get me started, like <laughs> at first grade, you get the scale to color in, like the coloring page of a scale. Okay. They do this in every school. Did you get it? Did you remember? I that? think so, but it was a scale like the mitzvahs and averas. Yeah, it's like here's a scale. Color it in. If you do more mitzvahs, and you're gonna have a good year. If you, you know, tip the scale to the do the averas, and you're gonna have a terrible year. And it's, it's just bull. It isn't true. Why are we teaching children things that aren't true? You can't control the outcome of your year. That's not what this is about. That's not what Rosh Hashanah is about. Yeah, you can dive in, and I'm sure there's. I'm again, Torah Sarah. Like I'm not. I'm not preaching. I'm just saying it makes me really angry to see kids who are learning stuff that's not sustainable. Because what are they supposed? To, they learn that, and then they see this amazing rabbi and his beautiful family who had a who had something happen to them, then they're like, oh, did he not do enough mitzvahs? Like, this isn't sustainable education. Right. I, f I feel like most of us have learned about God um, as a three or four-year-old, and they communicated in the best way they could to a three or four-year-old, and they didn't update it as we grew up. And they say, okay, now you're eight, let me speak. Let most me... three or four-year-olds actually have their own really beautiful relationship with God until they go into school. <laughs> right. Right? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I meant it more from a, a, like a religious practice. Yeah, 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 for sure. I mean, as someone gets older, you can communicate these practices in much more subtle, yeah. nuanced ways. Like, For example, um, you know, I've spoken a lot about porn addiction. And one of the things I'll always, like when, when people are struggling with um, a porn addiction, I'm like, God doesn't need to punish you for watching porn. This idea is crazy. You're being punished by watching porn. I mean, that's it. Go watch it and see how you feel afterwards. Right. The shame, the disgust, the self-loathing, right. the demoralization. And if it works for some people, God bless them. I'm talking to the people who are struggling with it. Yeah. And you need a punishment where you have to lose money now to like seal the deal. <laughs> doesn't make it's any sense. You, this, the punishment is the consequence. Like that, God is smart enough to build a system that doesn't need, he doesn't need to every once in a while say, okay, let me get something on the outside to make it uh, now... Meaning that 
porn itself won't have an inherent negative quality to it that will be experienced. And that is the experience of it. That is the consequence and punishment. Yeah. There's another thing that has to be built to it. The punishment for eating unhealthy is feeling bad. That's it. Right. Right. Don't need another punishment. Agreed. So, but to a four-year-old, that's too subtle. Four-year-olds can eat a lot of candy and feel great at the end of the day. We don't have that same luxury yeah. at so yeah. get older so you have to teach in in those ways that's what i meant by it yeah but yeah. obviously yeah in terms of understanding god that's another yeah. one that i think we screwed up a lot is thinking we have to teach kids as much as we do we don't i really would like to create my own school like it's always been a dream you know on a farm like you know with in nature and with like really catering to every kid and t- having elders teach the younger the kids and i don't know i just this is a subject that is just it's very very painful to me very very painful because what we've i think what we've done it boils down to the essential voice versus the social voice the essential voice is what we're born with we know who we are we know what we know what we're here for we know ourselves we don't ask permission to spit our food all over the wall we don't like it we spit it all over the wall like it's just we live by urge and then we hear our first no and it's like, wait, what I want isn't true? Like what I, what, what does no mean? And then we get this shoulds, you should sit. No, you should sit on your desk. You should not stand. Now you can stand. Now you can eat. No, you don't eat now. now. And so by the time we are, you know, finished 12th grade, we don't even remember who we are. We're in a, we're in a complete social voice. And the problem with that, it's such a sheker because it's, the essential in the essential voice is your unique gifts that you came to, you came with, and we basically knock all that out during. Oh, that's a fascinating perspective. I got it. Yeah. So, like, it's astounding to me that you you got through that system and and managed to keep your own integrity of who you are, your own unique talents and gifts, and you're doing it. This is this is beautiful. Right. I definitely credit that a lot to. Uh... To my father, he had a just kind of marches to his own beat. It didn't really. It, he wasn't caught up in the whole uh, social thing. Beautiful. So not. Yeah, there was just he 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 felt certain things, and that was the way he was going to do it, and that's it. You know. Yeah. So, so if the social, we do need social voice. For sure, for sure. It's we not, need we, you know people would be driving on the sidewalks if we didn't have the social voice, but. It's so out of proportion. The social voice is like 90% of who you th- most people think they are. And then they have like this maybe 5 or 10% like a little voice. And like, this is what I like. This is who I am. And they forget. And I think we were talking, I just wanted to make sure I said this about um, Judaism. Like there is Kabbalah soul. There is, that exists. There is, you know. But Kabbalah, Kabbalah soul is of God, not of the teachers. Right. Right. Correct. There when it's communicated, like, whenever it was communicated to me as a child, it wasn't Kabbalah soul of God. It right. was always said I should have Kabbalah soul of the 100%. teacher. That, that right in the origin. That's not what it's talking about. I'm with you. I mean, there is an element of of our DNA that's like Nasev and Nishma. We just said we're going to do it. We didn't say why, and we didn't. It wasn't like it, a feel good thing all the time. But it's out of proportion right now. It's it's like so much guilt and fear and punishment and and just not fun and and like just a little bit of you know okay it's also wonderful like 
and it has to be the opposite. It has to be there has there can be like a little like yeah I I dress sneeze because it's the right thing to do or whatever it is. There can be an element of that, but it's now it's like it's so dis disproportionate and um, twisted at this point. So I just want to make sure to say like something about the the there is something to be said about rules and rules are good. We we live with rules. We have to have some rules, but you know the the rules have taken have primacy. Just, it's yeah. it's 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 off, and our kids are sh are showing it. They're saying it. They're not afraid to say it. This is off. This isn't working. And Goodbye. when you say kids are saying it, what do you mean? With their They're behavior. Leaving. Yeah, just yeah. like this is this isn't true. What you're teaching us isn't even true. Right. I've 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 thought that and said that that. Instead of in, instead of like relegating those who are not following the system to kind of the sidelines, we should bring them forward and hear from them, saying, "What about this is not working?" Because yes. if if we believe a lot of the ideas that are shared in it, for example, that we are souls and we're spiritual and we're spiritually inclined, and you know, the, there's a inherent connection to godliness or whatever we'll call it the the pintle yid then that exists in that person pushing them to the side they say oh no this person doesn't have it let me sh shut them up no let's find out what about this isn't working for them yeah and very often it's not working for a lot of the other people who say it's working for as well there's a lot to learn yeah. from those uh from those people and we've made the mistake i think of pushing uh pushing them to the side but a lot is a lot is changing also there's a lot of hopeful voices what's yeah. interesting though is you came to this like these from healing people suffering came to what these um ideas i probably came a lot with my own suffering <laughs> your own right your own and, and others yeah right goes kind of goes hand in hand and the reason I'm saying that is because you're watching someone suffering and then there's the introduction of this idea that alleviates that suffering, which meant that that idea was the suffering. Okay, explain that. So, for example, um, I've worked with many people who struggle with porn. And, you know, you mentioned the letter to God. So... I'll tell many people who grow up religious, write a letter to God and don't be afraid to start it with, right, strong words. I'm angry. Yeah. Uh, sometimes hard, sometimes stronger words. Okay. Whatever needs to mm -hmm. be said, say. And what do you mean, how can I talk to God that way? I said, because that's a real relationship. If if my kid's upset, I shouldn't be able to handle a, you know, I hate you, I can handle it. Why right. couldn't God handle it? Say it. If that's, what's, if that's what's on your heart, if that's the way you feel, you're going to wake up in the morning, I don't feel I feel like I hate you for setting me up. That's what, I feel like I hate you for giving me a sex drive and rules around um, sexuality. So now I feel like a disgusting person. Okay, great. So start there and see how and, 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 see, and see where it goes because that's a, a real relationship. So what I'm saying is and now if that idea open something up for this person and gives them a sense of healing, then it means that the earlier idea was causing the pain and suffering. The mm. earlier idea that God couldn't be spoken to in that right. way, that couldn't we couldn't have right. a real dialogue and relationship, that somehow right. we had to tiptoe around this being. Right. 
be it whatever it is, right? Tiptoe around God and be afraid of a, a bad action or a bad thought or a bad speech. Yeah. That was causing the person suffering because once I removed it, then now here right. you have a person who's happy and free and very and very often not watching porn or watching porn less, right? That's the that's the irony, right? That's what I meant by it. I just had this discussion with a client the other night who was talking about porn, and I, I was like, you know, porn is the laziest way of feeling alive. It's the laziest way of feeling better. Like, you're undeveloped. Like, go find your some hobbies that you love and do them, you know? I don't know if that sounds radical to you. I'm, no, it's not radical, I'm but it depends where someone is in the process. Because I don't know what it feels like to have that addiction, and... And I, it's chutzpahdik for me to say it, like you know. But I, I think a lot of addictions, personally, are just our culture is just uh, we're undeveloped. When you're doing, you know, there's joy and there's pleasure. Pleasure is nice; it's great. Everyone needs pleasure, but sometimes pleasure becomes something that makes you feel not the opposite, makes you feel terrible. But then there's joy. Joy is something that when you do what brings you joy, you don't need to eat, sleep, go to the bathroom, like you are immersed and you're bringing that energy to this world find what brings you joy bring that do more of that i had a else another young man i guess depends where someone is in the process yeah depends where someone is if the addiction is at full force and someone is almost in control of it then hearing that can add another layer of well i had uh, i'll give you an example my son's friend called me and he's like i need to see you i'm I need to see you. I'm going crazy. I'm like, okay, come over. And he's like, all I do is think about sex. Like everywhere I go, every woman I see, every single woman I see, that's all that goes through my mind. And I just was like, "Mm -hmm." and then I was like, can you tell me a time in your life that you were doing something that really brought, explain to him the joy and the pleasure. Tell me something you've done that you really love doing. He's like, "Um, when I was a kid, I did woodworking. So I'm like, okay. I took him into like a little meditation, like feel the the saw in your hand and listen to the sounds and smell the wood chips. And, and I had him really in it. I'm like, are you thinking about sex? And he's like, no. I'm like, oh, how come? He's like, cause I'm having fun. I'm, I feel alive. I feel I'm enjoying myself. I'm like, oh, interesting. Right, there's a craving there, and the yeah, craving is yeah. for an emptiness, and if it's not yeah. there, then, yeah, I mean, that's why I do this, right? Yeah. No, although today I don't live with the, the addiction or the urges or the strong desires there, but... Um, that's amazing, by the way. That's amazing. To not... Yeah, that you don't have that anymore. What an inspiration. But that's the purpose of healing, right? That's what that's we're trying beautiful. to do. Because I don't know about, I mean, I don't know about you, but I can tell you that, like, like things that I've struggled with, a lot of them are still there. They're just easier to handle now. Like it's like if something would throw me off for a month before, now it will throw me off. Then it would throw me off for a week and then it would throw me off for a day. And then at this point it might throw me off for a minute, but it still can throw me off. It's still, and sometimes there are things that don't, but there are things that just keep, people will say, you've been doing this work for, I, you know, I've been doing this work for so many years, I can't believe this is still here. And that's also real. That, no, that is very real. Yeah. Um, what, I'm, what I'm referring to specifically is around the obsessiveness around it. Okay. Um, 
I don't think if I engaged in it today, I would have um, like a muted reaction to it. Meaning, some people may be able to function watching it occasionally. I don't. I, I right. imagine there are many people who are. I wasn't able to. Okay. I I don't think I can go back to that. It's yeah. not in my life. But sure. I don't struggle with the desires, with the urges, with the obsessiveness. That's amazing. Um, around it. And I, so cool. some of it is this, is doing these kind of things that are, this is, this is my fun. This is my joy. This is what I, I love to do. I, you know, I, I do you find see a private certain, clients. No, I end up speaking to a lot of people. We're going to turn this around now. You could. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I end up speaking to a lot of people. Um, and every once in a while I'll take on, not like a private client, but you know, someone who I'll. Like I feel like they're there and it's okay. Let me spend some time with them. Maybe I'll talk to them, you know, a few times a month and see if, you know, can help move them along to that next space. But I don't, I don't coach. Like I don't have, you know, I don't have a practice. Cool. But you've been wanting to do that a couple of times. Maybe I'll give you the opportunity to, even though I've been talking more than I do in most interviews for whatever reason. Um, <clears throat> but if you wanted to ask a few questions, go ahead. Okay. Except that I just choked on my water. <laughs> <laughs> Give you time um, to think. <clears throat> like your father. I just want to, I just, like his not being into the social, is there more in that that, that helped you? Like, was it personal or was it just following him or was it stuff he told you? Um, it's some, no, something that I've noticed that I've gotten from him. It wasn't, it wasn't an instruction by him. It wasn't, um, I, I don't know if it's something, I don't think, I don't think he and I ever spoke about it. Just when you commented on that, I said, Hey, that was something that was probably easier for me than most because, my father, I don't know if he naturally has that or if he worked on that. Maybe his father had it. Who knows how it, uh, how he got it. But he doesn't seem to be very moved by people's opinions of him. He's more guided by his, you know, what he believes to be the right action. I, I don't find that very often. Like, my father was like that, too. And it was everything for me. Like, my father... My parents were both Tuva, and they were very much their own people. Like they came to it with their, you know, they they were they were very high, high visions, high meaning, high, very spiritual, and they didn't look at people for their, for their norm. They were very. My father said, "Never look at people, because they will always disappoint you. If you're looking for truth, look at." Like the Torah, look at what's MS, Torah, Tzadikim, um, but people will always disappoint you in the end, which has really carried me through my life a lot because I've seen, you know, there's so much to see. There's just. So as not to take it too personal, so as not to be too disappointed. As not like they don't represent the truth. Like if someone behaves badly, they don't represent the truth. Like people aren't my. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, that's important. Be able to pull that apart because many people speak in the name of God. Right. And then we think it's God. 
And then we, oh my God, but it's so easy to speak in the name of God. It's the easiest thing to do, to say, right. God says do X, Y, and Z. Right. And I don't get bent out of shape. Thank right. God. And I see people who literally pull off their shades after stuff like that. And, and I'm just like, it's people. People are people. Right. Right. So you attribute that to your, to your father. Just Totally. Yeah. 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 Right, there's Torah, there's a truth. I, I, I don't know if this is true. You know, you talk about your Torah. I, I feel like the case for me is when we talk about halacha, let's say, like, is it describing a person or is it describing an ideal? Mm. Meaning it's, it's so easy to say, oh, we should do all these things. And okay, maybe someone should do all those things. But is that actual? is that actually possible for someone to do all this? So when someone doesn't, then they feel miserable and terrible and like they're going to be punished. Was that, was that what halacha was written for? Meaning really expecting that the average person, I'm asking this as a question, really expecting that the average person was going to do all of these things? Or was it saying, okay, let me, let's have a book that we can preserve, right? That's here, that's charting the course of an ideal person. And then at any point in time, check where you are along that way. We don't have to mess with the ideal, but to pretend that everyone is doing this and everyone who can't is a failure. That's tough. That's no. rough. No, I, I think it should be like, it again, it's an opportunity to be the most refined that you could be. If you didn't take that opportunity and, and you're not ready or whatever, like it's not, that's not no one's business except your own. And it's, it should, I think it should be a personal relationship to it and see it as a beautiful thing. Like, wow, this is like, amazing i could be how do i feel when i'm doing halakha or how do i feel when i don't and i get to see myself and my own chart my growth and chart where i'm at and know where i'm at maybe it's a a way of knowing where you're at i don't know or maybe it's again it's a relationship with it what's your relationship with it if the punishment and fear is definitely not working anymore no it's not working it's, it's not working it's not working it's uh yeah it's hurting a lot of people and yeah. it, and it's it's resulting in probably more people doing what what they're afraid of. My wife says that the first time she ate non kosher, she was sure she was going to get punished, like something would terrible would happen to her. And she was young when she did. And uh, when she didn't, she was like, oh, "Okay, so the whole thing is not true." I mean. That's essentially what you're leaving someone exactly someone with. That's what that kind of that's what that created. Right. Yeah, what is the harm in just saying the truth? There's so much fear. There's so much fear, I guess. That's that's what's so interesting is that I say Hashem Alakechem MS, right? What is God is truth. Meaning the truth is God lies or not, right? That's the way I under understand it the tires tires ms but and i felt like i was definitely lied to intentionally the person who was telling it to me knew they were telling me a lie but they thought it was for my benefit meaning as a child in school and it's probably still going on in many shiva systems is someone is knowingly lying to the children telling them something they know not to be true for their benefit but of course that's not godly like how is that can you think of what what could have been beneficial for you at the time? I think at different ages there there are different things, right? So something could be age age appropriate as long as it's age corrected. Meaning 
you can tell me something that's, if I still believe it at 10, wouldn't be a good idea. So tell me at five and then make sure at 10, I know something different. Yeah. Right. So if you want to talk to me about how babies are made and give me one theory at seven and another right. one at 13, that's perfectly fine. But don't let me yeah. go into adulthood with the seven-year-old idea. Yeah. So just kind of keep up. <laughs> right. That's. I think something just popped into my head and, and, and that is love. Love. Like love is missing. I feel a lot in all of this. It's like you have a teacher. They're teaching you. Maybe what they're teaching you is true. And maybe what they're teaching you is good for you. But then you see their behavior and they don't love you. And they, you know, are, are, are unhappy. And they have no love in them. And then it's like all of it feels like nothing. All of it feels like... That is true as well. Right, that is true as well. Meaning there's a lot... This, you know, I remember Chase, Chase Taub. If you don't remember Chase Taub, yeah. I was with him and he said, you know, if I speak to one more kid who grew up in yeshiva, went through a yeshiva system and he found God in a church basement, in a 12-step room in a church basement, I'm going to lose my mind, right? And what, so, so what is that ingredient that he's talking about? What is someone getting? And it's that relationship that many yeah. of us have had. I found it in 12 steps. I found God in 12 steps. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I only when I started going in 12 steps so was I sure. comfortable saying that I believe in God, I have a relationship with God. I feel like I can take something and put it on him and that can actually be physical. I can feel one yeah. way and say, you know what, this one's yours. And that can actually be an yeah. interaction and a dialogue and something shifted inside me and now it's somewhere else. That only took place after the 12 steps and I went through, I went through the so, full yeshiva so system wrong. up until smicha. I'm sorry. So I got a lot of good from it. I got a lot of good from it. And today I'm I'm very excited about it in the sense that um, I feel like there's a, a lot of language and ideas that I'm now able to, you know, incorporate back in. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people don't. A lot of people yeah. Yeah. Don't, don't have the experience. Yeah. And and maybe there's some things we can do even within the community itself in terms of I had said ask the people who are outside of the community or you know kind of leaving saying why did you leave you know when companies do exit interviews because you're finally going to get the honest thing hey what was not working in this company let's do we should do some exit interviews in the uh, from communities but also within communities and go around the shul and say how many people are comfortable how many people speak to God in a language that's not the sitter. How many do that? I mean, just you pray to God three times right. a day. How many times do you pray in your own words? Are you asking me? No, I'm not you. Oh, oh, I'm saying yeah, yeah. if we ask that right. in a from room, I mean, that's yeah. like that would be a basic. Or how about instead of the scale, everyone gets to make up their own tefillah? Of like, just make your own tefillah up. Let's do that. You can do that at five years old. You can tell the Mora what you, you know, what you want to say to God. And let that be your tefillah instead of the scales. <laughs> Being the scales. <laughs> You're traumatized from the scales. I'm traumatized and I see it over and over. But, you know, getting back to that woman that I spoke to last night, I had her then write a letter to God that she, of how she wants it to be between her and God, you know. And just, you know, if, if anyone wants to do that, I think it's just a great, a great exercise, a pre-Rosh Hashanah exercise, or really any time. Um, yeah, we're recording this kind of a couple days before Rosh Hashanah, but it'll be here. Oh, yeah. Probably well after it. Yeah. Okay. Well, for next Rosh Hashanah, for, for <laughs> whenever you get that. <laughs> yeah. But you were saying a good exercise would be? The the writing the letters. Yeah, you were. 
Was I saying something else? No, it felt like you were explaining the letters, and then I interrupted. Just no, just to write the letter the the way it it feels right now, and then write a new. Oh, one, how you would like it to know, be? How you'd like to be, and almost like it have put that in your sitter. Read that every day before you dive in. You know. Right. No, I think it's. Uh, I think I think it's great. I feel and kind of like you know, talking like we've talked a lot about Judaism and about a lot of you know, Yiddishkeit, and, and it's, it's, it's funny, it's ironic to me, because I feel like I'm on a journey of really figuring it out for myself, and I don't want to preach to anybody, because I don't think I got it, I think, you know, everybody, we're all just, like, souls on a journey, and broken, and it's, it's hard, there's no, no preachy, <laughs> perfect thing, it's just, like, you know, hang in there and and do whatever you can and know that you are God. Like you're a chelik elokami malamamish, and you have a part of God. And you got it's not God is Santa Claus, and I'm you know <laughs> this creation that he hates. Like <laughs> this is not you know this is wrong. This is just a story, and we are not this story. It's just just. It's a construct that has been created somehow. Right. So someone asked me if I'm like, you know, because sometimes I'll have conversations like this and give certain thoughts about my childhood, about my experience. Like, do I have some sort of problem with the from community? Do I like, you know, is there something that I'm angry at, something that I want to change? And I said, whatever's working for someone, God bless. I'm, I'm only here to share something that can be liberating to someone who's stuck. So if someone is in a prison of shame, even when I talk about porn, I'm careful. If it's working for someone, God bless you. I have nothing to say to that person. Right. But for someone who's not and wants out, and but they're in a prison of shame. So then I'll tell them, my experience has been, and it's been proven out through many others, the way out is to talk about it. So talk, and that's that's been my experience. If it's working for you, I have nothing to say. And the same the same is true with religion. There are certain things that I found that were very prison-like. And there were certain ideas that helped liberate me in some way, to fry out, <laughs> to help liberate me in some way, to truly become, to feel, to feel free, and to feel like I'm living my purpose, and to feel like I'm doing good, and to feel happy and joyful and purposeful. When a lot of those things were make me feel depressed and addicted and anxious, and those things I share, and for those who want it, take it by all means. But it's not yeah. a, uh, it's not when it's not a no new religion. No one's got the formula. I think. No one's got the exact formula. No one no one's got it. No one no one cracked the code yet in how to live a perfect life and be perfectly you know, I just think it's it's the time in history for for every person to understand that we are our own healers and we have been given every tool in including Torah mitzvahs, including psychology and whatever other tools are out there like use them use like don't look outside for a band-aid all the time like you can heal yourself you can help right. yourself there's more than ever and when something's not working don't be afraid to to try something else yeah and if you're wrong you come back i mean you yeah know, become the master of return if you watch the uh, documentary it's a bill maher documentary called religious no so it's like it sounds um so he's 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 an atheist and he's you know coming from a that perspective to a degree. I'll tell you why to a degree because he ends the talk and he says I'm not 
I'm not actually challenging, I'm not, I'm not here challenging religion. I forget exactly how he said it. He said, it's just where others preach certainty, I want to preach doubt. Just have a little doubt in some of these things and hold some of these ideas just a little bit looser, and I'm fine. But it's that certainty around it. I'm going to append to that. Um, I interviewed Rabbi Dober Pinson a few weeks ago, and somehow the conversation of Amalek came up. And he said that Amalek, we're always taught, what is Amalek? Amalek is doubt. So a lot of people go to a place and say, okay, we can't have doubt. Amalek is doubt. We need certainty. So they think the antidote to Amalek is certainty. So he says, but that's not true. He says, because Tikkun has the same letters as Tinek. Right? So Tikkun, right. to heal something, is the same as childlike. Meaning it's we're returning to a childlike state and the, the healing of something is to return to a childlike stake about something. Certainty is not a childlike wow. emotion, but wonder is. So he says the, the way we heal doubt is not through certainty, it's through wonder, because doubt has a cynical um, kind of, I don't know, t tone to it. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's so wrong, what are you doing? To ask the same question, ask the same question, just use wonder as the undertone of that statement or question instead of cynicism, and now you feel that. And to me, that was very fascinating. It's, for, for many of us, we've, I've heard about a Amalek my whole life and how doubt messes with us, but the antidote is not certainty. When we go to that place of certainty, how do we know? We don't know anything. Yeah, we know you. nothing. Yeah. I don't even know if this whole thing is a fabrication of my own imagination or yours, and you can't prove to me it's not either. Right. We don't know if... This is a longer dream or a shorter dream in between. We have no clue. Right. We don't know anything. Yeah. But we could have a lot of wonder around stuff, especially if people are suffering. So this reminds me of uh, when I was 14 and I was going to a school that there was no Chassidus and I was like just lost. And I was like, I'm, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be from. Not because I love Shabbos, I love kosher, but I don't, I don't want, this Torah doesn't make sense. And it's a long story. I ended up in Crown Heights. I went to Base Rifka for a couple of years and learned my first Chassidus and had my first, like, really listening to the Rebbe's words and for the first time. And the Rebbe said something, like, when I was at my, my peak of just feeling, like, so confused and feeling like an Apikaras, feeling like if anyone really knows how I feel, they'll think I'm an Apikaras, you know? And I went to a Brangen, and the Rebbe said, um, was saying something about, how Hashem hides himself in nature, so we'll go looking for him. Because when you go looking for him, when you go looking for something, you, f you get a much deeper understanding. So it's like what you're saying is also, it's like, this is the DNA of our world. These people who are coming out and trying to say they know and trying to make it certain are, are robbing us of the journey of the mystery of finding, finding the pieces for ourselves, finding God, finding, find, he wants us to find him. And maybe it's annoying for him that there are these people who are just like, here he is, <laughs> he's here. <laughs> like, wait, let me look. I think that's let the me test. Take a, let me take a... No, I think that that's the test. Yeah. It's meant to be kind of interesting, and that's, that's the test, is could, will we get distracted from someone else's voice yeah. And not listen to our own heart. Yeah. And we all get to. We all, this is the journey. We get to do this journey as long as we're breathing and as long as we're here. 
This is the journey. So don't rob people of their journeys. Give them, give them what's true. Give them what's real. Don't manipulate and try to, you know, have people do a certain thing. It's not working. Right. Because everyone is needed. Everyone's natural self is needed. And there's a place for, for everyone. Correct. Who's that? Who said we're all walking each other home? Have you heard that saying? Yeah. yeah and then we, we need people who are, you know, developing their skills. A few weeks ago, I was sitting here with um, Mayor Kay. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Mayor and I connected at a time in his life where he was really struggling. And there were times where he, you know, leaned on me for support in that way. And then we had spoken right after a breathwork session, which he led, which was very powerful and healing for me. So we, you know, we, we shared about that kind of the, the synchronicity, the, not the synchronicity, the coolness of that, that there was a time where it felt like I was helping him. But what was I helping him to find something that I needed later, you know, just a, a little bit, a little bit later. So I was truly yeah. helping myself, but yeah. he needed to go through his path and find something that, you know, was true for him in order to bring me back something. And on and on we do this. I think the more we have people who are comfortable in that search and comfortable knocking on doors and making some some mistakes, but then coming back and finding something that's true for them, the more we'll have something valuable for all of us. Maybe we're coming to a place where the fear isn't working because it's not necessary anymore. Maybe this generation, this just came to me, but like this coming generation is really strong and they really can do it. They, if we can just trust them, trust our children, trust these kids to, they know what they're doing. They're, they're going to do the right thing. Do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to the fear of like, we have to keep everyone in this cage and like, they won't be from, and they won't do, you know, but maybe they will, maybe they'll even be, more embodied in it than we were like maybe I, I think fear, more than maybe I think the fear to right. go I think more than maybe I think there are many people who who are because of that because of that they've gone on that path and they've found certain things within Judaism that that connect to them I mean the amount of people I've I've worked with many religious people through 12 steps over the years now I do much less of that but for many years when I was active in the 12 steps I was sponsoring people and I didn't only sponsor Jewish people, but it happened a lot that I did sponsor Jewish people and finding people repeatedly. It wasn't one or two or three. It was many who did not find God, who left it from Judaism, but then reconnected. And when they reconnected, then they found ways to incorporate their Judaism to it. didn't look exactly like, like totally. it did when they were growing up, but it was true for them. And it was integrated into who they were as a person. It's been for many people the that. case. I love that. I have a son who, like, when my husband passed away, he was a train wreck. He just put his hoodie over his head, bought a pack of cigarettes, and went into a room and just, I didn't see him. So not only was I sick over that loss, I was like, what's going to happen to my whole world and what's going to happen to my kids? And and then I realized I cannot afford this. I need to be okay. And so I did some work around it and then came up with – with this script that I sort of went into my son's room and said to him, and now I teach this to parents all the time. I went up to, I went into his room and I just said, you know, there's so many ways to grieve and you're doing it your way. And I trust you smoke as much as you want, drink as much Coke as you want, do it as long as you need. 
you know where I live. You're smart. You're going to figure this out. And I trust you. And I walked out of the room, and I didn't look back, and I, I was okay inside about him. I really was. It wasn't just, I wasn't just, it wasn't lip service. It was real. Like, I had to really feel it, and then I could say it, and then I could walk away and feel it. And um, he's, thank God, he's, he's pulled himself through such a gruesome journey. And, and he's, he's got more skills than ever because he found them his way. And I tell parents this all the time, trust your kids. Because if you're, we had a guy at, at the workshop who was like, I messed up my kids, I messed up my kids, I messed up my kids. I said, if you think you messed up your kids, then when you see your kids, you're seeing mess. You're seeing them as messed up. So your kids are, are walking around the world feeling messed up. My dad thinks I'm messed up. How's that feel? I said, how about you look at them and say, wow, you've been through a lot. You know, I, I own it. I own what I did. I'm sorry. I'm working on myself. And I know you're going to be okay because you're made out of good stuff. You're smart. You're beautiful. You're strong. You're going to be okay. And then they feel empowered. When you say, you said earlier you did some, some work around it, right, and related, related to the discomfort with your son, and then from that, that led to, I guess, the, the awareness that um, I'm going to communicate to him differently. I'm going to say something different. Yeah. So what, what does that look like practically, the work around it? What do you mean by that? So I um, actually, my son-in-law is a coach, Mati Kenningsberg, and mm -hmm. I went to him, and I was just like, help me, I feel sick. And then he facilitated me. And then I did the work, you know, internal work. So, yeah, I guess I made it sound like I did it myself, but I didn't. I reached out. I needed help. And I did my work. That was me doing my work. And then I was able to help him. Neat. Yeah. And then that realization came from you, the recognition that maybe this is a better way of communicating with him. Yeah. Like, I was okay, and then I could give that over to him. And then I just, I just kept it there throughout, watching all the struggling, watching my kids struggle. His, I don't wish it on anybody. It's, it's so hard. But this idea has kept me and kept them, I think, and just seeing their stages and their, what they're going through and just trusting them. I trust them. I trust them. And I think mm -hmm. it's so empowering. Um, I how still have kids? to, I have six kids. And the, the one you're talking about is how old? 22. Right, got it. Yeah, it's a rough age. Yeah, but he's, he's like, he's a, he's a staff member on my workshop. Oh, and he, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has been now he's, uh, probably going away for the year, but yeah, it's, this is, and then kids, it, the struggle is real. But instead of being all this fear, let's trust, let's trust our kids. Let's trust this generation. This is a special generation. They have so little leadership and so little to hold on to, and they are gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna do it. They're gonna bring us into the the next part of the world. Bring us out of out of this Egypt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's an observation I had and I made. Um, I've made it here with um, on this podcast, but not everyone listens to everything. So, is that one of God's gifts to us? Uh, maybe it's a gift, maybe it's a test, a challenge. Is free choice. 
said, here, I'm going to give you the ability to, to choose or appear to be, have the ability to choose. And how much of, you know, the programming, whether it's authority or religion or government trying to rob us of that free choice. And either, obviously there are certain things that we do want to take off the table, right? right. Like killing someone else. Like let's, right. let's remove certain things off the table because it's too irreversible. Right. But as much as possible, we don't want to remove it completely. Like let's just put everyone in a cage in their own cage. No one can kill anyone else. But in, in many ways we're doing, I feel too many things that rob people of their free choice when God's gift to us was free choice. Like in the name of God, we're saying, I'm going to take away your free choice. But God could have created that world. He didn't need your help to create a world where people people felt like he was, you know, yeah. had a mountain over their head. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Let, Absolutely. That was all. Let's, let's, yeah. Let them have free choice and let's see where it goes. Let us have free choice and see where it goes. So in terms of I the I think trust. This, is, this is part of like what I call the new operating system. You know, this new operating system, like we, we need to move into, we need to let go a lot, letting go of what we're holding on to so tight and open to the future and open to what's happening and, and stop with the doom and gloom. It's just, it's just keeping us stuck and bringing bad energy. Like <laughs> each of us are responsible for bringing our gifts, bringing good, bringing good energy, adding whatever we can. And instead of like that fear and that holding, it's just not, it's not necessary anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick with that. It's not necessary anymore. I mean. <laughs> right. Meaning very likely by your same logic, then there was a time where that approach was necessary. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that was somehow in the foundation and in the like horse training or, you know, like you got to train like, you know, like an unbridled whatever and and we did it now it's done and let's move into let's stick let's what is uh, the Friedrich Rebbe said like we have to live with the times right let's live with the times and let's let's empower. yeah meaning it's happening anyway yeah right it's, ha it's happening uh, yeah there are a lot of things that are happening anyway so there are a lot of things happening anyway <laughs> you know people can rail against AI and I don't know Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and all these things. Right. A lot of it's happening anyway, so you can cry about it or figure right. out. Right, or the, or even yeah. like, you know, going back a little bit, like the iPhone craze or everybody being so afraid of the iPhone and like, okay, now what? You want to live your life and you want to stand in front of a tsunami with your hands up and just be like, sorry, don't come. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Right. So how can we work with it and how can we empower them to make good choices and and know that they will. And you feel like a lot of that is trust. Uh, yeah, and belief, and belief in them, yeah. And th that just like you made good choices, your kids will. Yeah, eventually we're going to need to be um, independent, right? Meaning eventually all yeah. of us are going to need to be independent. Yeah. So yeah. bringing that out. Totally. How, how has um, your husband's loss changed, like changed you? And you were in this work before, and obviously you had certain perspectives, and you go through something massive like that. How has that changed yeah. you? Uh, it changes me every day. It's, it, it's, there's a book called The Wild Edge of Sorrow. I think it's an incredible book by Francis Weller. And it's, it's really like the opportunities in 
the grief and in the deepest pain, there are treasures. There are opportunities to find like the edges of, of, a, of myself. I've found a lot of my edges of who I am. Um, and it's, it's, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing journey and it's, it's hard. It's really hard. It's really hard, but it's like seeing things that I can do that I never thought I could do. It's, it's, there's, 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 there are treasures in it, but it's, it's not, it's not easy. Is there anything you're comfortable sharing? Anything. Something specific? Oh, about. Yeah. A treasure meaning, yeah, something specific that you have today that you would not have. Like I can do bills. A treasure. (laughs) (laughs) That kind of treasure. (laughs) I never thought I could do a bill in my life. I'm like, I'm not shaking anymore. I sit and I do my bills and I'm not like, in the beginning I was just like shaking. I never did a bill in my life. Right before he died, I was like, if he ever dies, I will have no clue what to do. It was just a, like a premonition kind of thing, I guess. Um, and the, the strength, the strength I have and, and like being okay with being with myself as opposed to like in a, you know, always needing him because I, I always felt like we were just like always needed each other. And um, Did you I work to, together in the healing work? So he worked for the Chavke, he was a mashkiach, but he also was a coach, and we did, oh, like, right. a lot of healing work together. Yeah, we did. Um, right. We used to see couples for free. That was our mitzvah that we did, and we worked together a lot. Oh, got it. Yeah, it's not, this is not not an easy one. I used to think, like, if someone lost their husband, they probably didn't like them. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know, it was, like, my own maybe way of dealing with it, but, yeah, this is really, really hard. But it's, uh, it's... I'm choosing, you know, I realize I have a lot of perspective. Life is short. I'm trying to do whatever I can while I'm here. I'm less stuck in the moments and more like I have more patience. I've learned a lot of patience. I never had patience. I have patience now somehow. I just see that everything with time, everything unfolds as it should somehow. Right. That's a that's that's a that's that's a good answer. How's that? <laughs> <laughs> how has it changed me so, <laughs> i cry a lot <laughs> i scream i cry i yeah i've yeah i do all that i yeah. i grieve hard <laughs> yeah i was in a um i was in a workshop a retreat for a few days and they had a, a grief portion but the grief was really related to any loss someone had had suffered and that can mean very many things to to different people. And hundreds of people in the retreat, I don't know, maybe four or 500. And that was by far the most intense portion of it where, you know, the facilitator led a meditation around it and was very nondescript, very general. Just think about something you have lost. So maybe it was a relationship or maybe it was moving as a child and, you know, losing some friends or maybe it was... Yeah. I don't know, a home or a job or money or whatever, you know? Yeah. And it was all, it was an all men's, um, <laughs> an all men's retreat. Um, and I mean, the grief, it turned, turned violent actually. It was like, that's how like violent with rage, just the, wow. the, the, the raw energy in the room was unbelievable. But yeah, it was probably the, the best words I can use to describe it was violent rage. Wow. Yeah, I've had that. And very, very healing for, for many of us. But yeah, 
I think because of what I've been through, um, a lot of my like clients and people feel like they could tell me anything now more than, and they always did, but now it's even more. It's like, sometimes I have to brace myself because like, there's a lot of painful things that happen in this world and, mm -hmm. and I've held a lot of things that I probably couldn't have held before. Just like hellish type of pain. And it's real. It's right. real. So as, as a healer, it's definitely sharpened your blade. Definitely sharpened my blade. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of tools, you said you have tons of different tools, many different tools. Uh, you referenced breath work. Are there some other tools that are some of your, I don't know, some of your favorites or some so of your go-to? I, I believe very much in replacing old, like your experiences created your brain patterns. So creating a new experience that replaces the old experience is extremely effective and healing. So even um, like I had a client in the pool and I was, I was holding her in a hammock and I was just rocking her and, and she was like, just going, I never had a mother. I never had anyone to love me. And I'm like, I'm loving you right now. I'm mothering you feel it. Like feel it. This is what it feels like. Take it in, like have this experience in your repertoire and um did you know going in with the hammock and the pool that that's what you were going for or you just um you started with that and that's what came up i started with that and that's what came up it was like we she was on a private i do private retreats we do mm. retreats with um you know a lot of groups but we also do private retreats um and that was on a private retreat and i was just putting together like a whole slew of different modalities for her to do um and it's so create like feel it. I had, we did a rebirth on a retreat with a, a young girl who was in foster care her whole life and was never held by a mother. And sh we did like a, this little birth canal kind of funky thing we do. <laughs> and when she came out, we like chose to role play. We had like two, two parents and she sat in the mom's lap for three hours. Wow. And afterwards she said, now I know what it feels like to be held by a mother. And I'll be able to heal my to hold my children because I have a frame of reference for it. Beautiful. So if you have no frame of reference for something that you want, and then you experience it, you now you're like, oh, this is how it feels. Okay. So I really love doing that. Um, I also have a bio mat, acoustic mat that like recenters your nervous system. So sometimes I'll do a coaching session on the mat so that they can get you know hit people up in as many senses as possible. I think is really important in creating new experiences, creating um, change. To hit people with as many experiences, senses. So it's like we're like, like it, like we're talking, but then if there's also something else going on at the same time while you're talking, then the experience goes deeper. So if you're on an acoustic mat and we're talking, then the acoustic mat is giving you this vibration and this very high frequency music that's like just centering your whole nervous system, then everything I said, it's its like hypnotic suggestion. Everything I said is almost like a hip, hypnosis. I don't believe in hypnosis so much in the way that it takes away your free choice. And you know, you need to like own your process. I'm very into that. Like I'm not your Band-Aid. I will hold space. I will give you the space to heal, but ultimately you choose what you wanna do. I'll always ask permission. Is this what you wanna do? We could either do this or we could do that. And I think that's also part of owning your healing is, is being able to choose, not having someone put it on you. Right. Um, 
it's interesting what you said about the senses. There's a, an ayahuasca shaman that I know well, and he said, um, a shaman's job is to overwhelm your five senses so that you activate your sixth. Interesting. Yeah, I like that. Because, uh, you know, the shaman's playing music. Right. Um, often, often, you know, burning different things or, you exactly. know. So there's smells, there's right. sounds. Right. Right. Sometimes some of the the sounds of a drum over you is, you know, activating. There's a f- feeling to it. Right. So this touch. Yeah. And then. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I did that with someone recently also just like. I had this little essential oil from like Israel and it just, it was so weird because it was like just in reach and this person was just crying about a loss and I, a loss of a very special loved loved one and um, the crying was so out of, it was so intense and I was like, it felt like it would never end and I just grabbed that little bottle and I just put it by her nose and I was just like, smell this you know, like just sniff it in. I'm like, let's go visit the person. Where are they? And then we went to Ghanadin and I'm like, smell, this is Ghanadin. Like, this is what it smells like. It was really good essential oil, <laughs> but it was like creating that. Now he, they have a new neural pathway to like a new way of relating to the loved one. Right. Because like now there's a higher place that they can go and see the loved one. Being able to reaccessing it, reaccess afterwards with the, with yeah. the smell. Right. Yeah. So that when you go back to the memory or when you go back to the situation, now you have some other ideas to play with in there. So like really working with the subconscious mind and creating new that, that that's what we have to work with. We can't always change our circumstances. We can't change our life always. We can't but what we can change is this. And we get to. We get to think our thoughts. No one can do it for us. We get to work with our thoughts. We get to work with what we got. And, and that's about it. Sometimes that's as best. That's as good as it gets is your thoughts around something. I was just saying this to someone the other day. Like, if you're depressed about something, you could meditate on someone who has, has it worse than you in some way. And then suddenly you're like, why would I be depressed, right? You know, it's it's all like up here. So you can do a lot of mind bending and playing with your mind. That's that's what we get to do. Interesting. Interesting perspective. I don't know if that sounded right. I know I hear what you're saying. What, what how does that account for, you know, things that live within the body? So your your thoughts actually change your physiology. Like you it, think about it right now, you know, if 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 you if I give you a suggestion to think about a time that you felt peaceful, your body will feel peaceful, right? Or think about a time you had a struggle, your body will feel the struggle. So the mind-body connection is, is everything. So your, your thoughts, the quality of your life can only be as good as the quality of your thoughts. So I work a lot with your thoughts. What are you thinking when you wake up in the morning? What, and really unearthing your thought patterns so that when they come, you can notice them. That's the awakening. Wake up, notice what's happening, notice what you're doing to yourself. Because if you don't notice, you can't change it. Your thoughts on um, healers versus mental health experts, quote unquote. Ah, uh, this is not censored. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't ask me that. Uh, 
I think people need to trust themselves really deeply with all of this, whoever you go to, whether they're a mental health professional or a healer or a shaman or a, a coach, it's all the same. Listen to yourself. Nobody should be telling you who you are, what you should do, and, and they, like, they need to be your, to be helping, not making it worse. And if you're feeling worse, leave them, <laughs> go somewhere else. Um, that's like my long short answer. Right. This is a this right. Is a just heavy in terms subject. of in yeah, terms of mental a, health, this is a charged subject. Right. In terms of me. mental health experts, um, and what I'm going to say is not challenging mental health experts. It's challenging people who think that only mental health experts can heal. Right. Mental health experts is, is fine, but people who think that only if they're not a mental health expert, what relevance do they have in that space? Um, so I would say that there are no mental health experts. It doesn't exist. Because if it did exist, then we wouldn't have 80% of people with mental health problems. Right, right. If we couldn't say that there's a building expert if 80% of buildings collapsed. Right. There is no meaning. What I'm saying is there's some expertise. There's some. That's why we're up My to mom's a therapist. And she's a really good therapist, just saying. She just moved to Florida. Sure, sure. She's meaning a great therapist. So I have there's like some expertise. Meaning some people have some people have knowledge, they have information that can be helpful. But to pretend there's an expert on this subject Correct. Th th it doesn't exist. It doesn't exist because too many people are struggling. So where's the expert? Not an expert. There's some expertise. That's all. And as long as there's ego, there can be a lot of mess ups. And I've seen many health professionals who have gone to school for years and years as well as coaches, just mess people up just with that ego. Like if they don't know what to do with the person, they'll label that person. You know, oh, I don't know what to do this, with this person, so I'll just have to say they have a personality disorder. Or, you know, there's a lot of messes out there, and people just have to be, again, trust yourself, trust yourself, go with what feels right to you. Because yeah. really, there's no rule. I, I think all generalizations are not true. Like, generalizations are not. <laughs> generalizations are generally not true. <laughs> generalizations are generally not true. <laughs> Let's be consistent. That's what I think. No, it's, it's an area of, um, it's a sensitive area for me because as I've been involved in different things, people have said, people have said this many times, where is the mental health expert? And some of the deepest healing I've had has been in 12 Steps. I'm like, where is the mental health expert? Where, where is the guy? We're all addicts, all of us. And what we have is that some of us have, you know, figured it out a little bit more than others. And then we kind of hold each other's hands and we can hold each other accountable where, you know, in the early meetings, there weren't the sponsors and the sponsor. It wasn't, oh, hey, this guy has 20 years of sobriety because it was a meeting that started two weeks ago. Right. So you had four people who came to meetings and two of them said, I'll sponsor you and you'll sponsor me. And the other two said, I'll sponsor you and you'll sponsor me. The benefit was that they weren't that person. That's it. Not that they had 20 years of, of sobriety. It's just, it's right. not my ego talking. I'm, I'm having someone else help what's, me out with this. What's the one that, could, uh, that really you think was helped you so much from that? From the 12 steps? Yeah. Um, and there were so many different things. If there was one... Certainly knowing that I'm not alone, like that 
So seeing that there were other people who struggled the way I did now and were no longer there. So that was huge. And then the the love and connection, that there was a space that yeah, you can go to it. that I was able to go to where people really cared and deeply cared. And that was, uh, what a crazy concept that I can be struggling, I can go to a meeting and I can ask a guy like, hey, can I talk this thing out with you? And we'd grab coffee and the guy would, you know, we're there for an hour and a half and then we each go our way and there was no bill. Not that there's anything wrong with the bill sometimes, but there yeah. was true understanding and you know and true um um connection there yeah. was that that's why and retreats are so good group work is so important group work is the that the love the connection the feeling not alone that alone it's like i always say if you bring a bunch of people to a group to a retreat and you already win you feed them win-win like <laughs> you do a few like activities like win-win-win <laughs> You know, you do bonding exercise and dyads, like win, 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 win. It's going to be phenomenal. It's just going to be great. There should People should give themselves that gift and go to groups, go to, you know, self-help groups. Right. The being with a group is so satisfying. And I think that's how we were supposed to be to begin with. I think that's how we were back in the day, right? Yeah, I'm actually going to be facilitating my first retreat next month, so we'll see how that goes. Mayor Kay asked me if I would do one with him, and I said, yeah, let's let's try. Let's what see how it goes. What kind of retreat? It'll be for men, and we'll see who comes. We'll oh. see who comes, but there'll be a, a lot around nature, and, um, you know, I'm big on, uh, you know, ice baths, and there'll probably be a sweat lodge, and, um, you know, so a little ice, cold nature. It's great. Yeah, win, yeah. win, win, win. Breath work. Win. Yeah, just. Yeah, get a bunch of drums, <laughs> let everyone scream. Well, yeah. yeah fire. Some of those things. Good. But we'll see. Mayor has uh, participated in a bunch of retreats. He has a lot of ideas. And, uh, you know, I know, um, I, I kind of know the beginning and the end, meaning I know what kind of people, like where I want them to be at walking in the door and where I hope they'll be at when they leave. So Beautiful. the middle, I'm not so sure yet, but I'm sure we'll figure that out. Rock on. That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Good. I'm glad you're uh, yeah supportive of it. All right. Anything else? Any uh, last final questions for me? Do I have any final questions for you? So, um, is this the f is this one of one or is this the first of many? Like, <laughs> like are are you now? You know, I just try to show up wherever is needed. Like I, you know, if I don't have an agenda, like I just maybe. Maybe right. I'll go wherever it's where I need to go. I just have to keep myself in check and be real and be me and and not look back. I'm sure I'm not going to enjoy watching this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure about that. Um, I'm sure many other people will. I'm sure many people get a lot from this. I I hope I hope it helps. I hope some of the things I said were helpful. You're still smiling, so that's good. <laughs> Um, yeah, thank you so much for for having me here and for doing what you're doing. Thank and you. it's yeah. it's exciting, very exciting for me, inspiring, and just you know the message of like wherever you've been, make it gold, make it good. You I have you can do it. Yeah, Schneer Hickson, um, who's been on this podcast as well, he shared with me a video of um, the Rebbe the other week, and it started with someone talking and saying they went into the. I think they'd become from, and they had some things about their past that um, I may be putting in some of my own thoughts in here, but the idea I'll stay true to. 
and he went to the Rebbe, you know, asking what to do. And he said, well, you're kind of the best person to deal with people who are struggling with that. So go back and, and, and help people in that way. And uh, then right after that, that short clip of the guy talking about his interaction with the Rebbe, there was a clip of the Rebbe speaking and saying that Balchuva's going back to where you struggled and were able to help yourself out of and then find people who are there and help them out of there. And that felt so different than my parents are both Balchuvas. That felt so different than the Balchuva movement that um, I kind of grew up into where I think for my parents and for many other parents, many other Balchuvas, which came to the Chabad community, the worst thing to hear about them was that you noticed they were a Balchuva. Like they wanted to mix in really, right. really thoroughly. Yeah. Like, don't, how did you know? Right. <laughs> did I not say Yankif? <laughs> so mm-hmm. they were, and here the video was basically suggesting the exact opposite. Like if there was that struggle there and you figured out a way out of that, some people don't, many people don't. I can tell you, like, some of the things I've been through, sexual abuse and sexual addiction, these are dark, dark places a lot of people don't get out of. And the fact that I was fortunate enough to, when looking back, there's certain things that were like, if not for that, if not for that, if not for that, then maybe I'm not here. Then it's like, wow, there's many other people still there. Can we go back? And who's going to do it better? Someone who's never been there or someone who can look in my eyes and know, hey, I've been where you're at and you don't have to live there. It's not a life sentence. So... Hopefully we can get more of that. Yeah, and I guess if I had to, if I had to leave with one message that just came up for me as you were talking is, you are not your story. You are not your thoughts. You are. You're a soul that happens to have a body, and has a lot of power, and. You don't have to be stuck by your story. It's just a story. Make a new story can do it it's really yeah but incorporate it into your new story and incorporate the past yeah and i mean if that story serves you use it in your new story yeah and if this but if the story is your identity it's not your identity it's not your identity correct and and i can't say that enough times it's not who you are and when you stop identifying it then you have the space to explore who you are and you're an infinite, infinite, infinite being with like unlimited potential. You know, we talk about expanded consciousness and expansion and all that. That's like, that's the buzzword. And that is true. We are expanding and we are, we're doing it. We're doing the work. And when you know who you are in that realm, like everything like, like there's nothing there's no story in the world that could change your soul that Correct. could touch your soul so get to know your soul be more of that yeah. awesome thank you so much thank you. I appreciate coming thank uh, you uh, it was an honor thank you and a pleasure <laughs>